you wind up depends on which road you take. Where you wind up depends on which road you take. In other words, let me put it to you this way. You can't go south from here and end up in Auckland. Or another way we could say it is you can't go east from here and end up in Raglan. Pretty obvious, right? Really profound stuff, right? Now, I realize you could do this if you actually circumnavigated the globe, but please, you understand, if you stick to the roads that we have at the moment, if you're sticking to the roads, that's not possible, right? It would be absolutely impossible for you to do that, sticking to the roads. But just as this is true in the physical realm, it is also true in the spiritual realm. And of course, Jesus is talking about the spiritual realm here in our passage. The, the road that you take is going to determine where you end up. Where you wind up in eternity will be determined by the road you take here on this earth. I've given you a little picture here from the, the awesome book, The Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. In, uh, in that book, uh, there were on several occasions, uh, Christian and, and other people in the book had to, had to choose which roads they would take. One time, uh, they had to choose between a very difficult road as opposed to easy roads. And then there were these people who, who claimed to be Christians... Bunyan had a great way to name these people, legality and other names for them. And they would, they would often take the, the other roads that were, that were easier. And of course, they didn't actually lead to the celestial city. Well, there's, there's a great message in Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, I encourage you to do so. But it is impossible to take the wrong road and go to heaven. You understand that? Impossible. It's impossible to take the heavenly road and then go to hell. What you do while in this world is going to determine forever where you spend your forever. Does that make sense? So what you do now does have a huge impact on your future, on your eternity. This life has been described as nothing more than a brief pause between two very long eternities. Now that shouldn't take any of us by surprise. After all, we're surrounded by death from the day we're born into this world. Loved ones pass away, friends leave this world. And you know deep down inside, uh, as I do, we, we know that one day it's going to happen to us unless Christ come back. Christ comes back first. We know that death is going to happen. Everyone's assured of it. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. We should be, uh, as, as Christians, in fact, it's something that we can actually look forward to. But if you're not a Christian, then this is, this is something you should be uh, fearful of. Something you should be concerned about. Because once you're dead, you, that's it. You don't get a second chance. The, the choice you make now is what you're stuck with for all eternity. So my exhortation to you and Jesus' exhortation to you is, make sure you're on the right road. Because the road you take now is going to be your destiny for all eternity. Well, Jesus gives us several principles we're going to look at as we go through this uh, passage today. And the first principle is this. It's on the screen. The road you travel always determines your destination. The road you travel always determines your destination. And Jesus, throughout this, this last part of the Sermon on the Mount, his, his conclusion to his sermon, he gives several illustrations. And funny enough, his illustrations are always contrasting or, or, in, or, contrasting or comparing two things. In this case, it's two gates and two roads. Look at verse 13. Romans chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Verse 13. Jesus says, enter, by the way, that's a command, not an option. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So you see the two gates? You got an easy one, 
A hard one, two roads, there's an easy road and a hard road. That's the, that's the illustration that Jesus is giving here in trying to illustrate <clears throat> excuse me, the principle <clears throat> that the road you travel is always going to determine your destination. If you want to choose the easy road now, well, that's your destination. <laughs> you want to choose the hard one? Well, you get, you, get a good, you get a good destination. Well, let me just mention a few things about these few verses here before we move on. Pretty obvious here, but Jesus says there's only two roads in life. There's only two roads in life. There's not many. There's not multiple ways, you know, God is not, you know, up on some mountain with lots of roads leading up to him. No. There's not lots of religions that get you to heaven. No. There's not multiple ways that you could live your life. Jesus says there's only two roads in life. Jesus is telling his audience there's only two possible roads in which someone can walk. Now, sadly, many in our day want to tell us that there's, there's all kinds of paths that a person can travel through life. That's not true. Jesus limits the choices to just two. Just two. Two roads, two gates. Some may feel that this is a narrow view. And I guess that that's correct. However, Jesus is correct regardless of what the world thinks even regardless of what some preachers might try to preach. So let's spend a few moments discussing these two roads in which man can spend his days. All right? The first one that Jesus mentions there, he says there is an easy way. There is an easy way. Now what does Jesus mean by this easy road? The idea that Jesus is trying to convey is that the easy way is wide open, which is why some Bible translations Say, they talk about it as the broad road, the wide road, the broad gate. That's why some translations do that. In other words, what Jesus is saying by the easy way is anything goes. You can do anything you like. You, you just carry all your baggage of sin along with you in your life. You can live the way you want to live. You can call all the shots. You make all the rules as you go through your life. Matthew chapter 7. The easy way is, you're the king of the road. And that's why it's one of the reasons why it's called the easy way. You call the shots, you make the rules, you do what you want, you get to carry all your baggage of sin along the way of life. And when you walk the easy way, you can be, on, you can be your own person. You're not, you don't have to be confined by anybody or anything else. You don't have to answer to anyone. You can live life to the fullest. Do what you want. You can live out the Nike commercial. Just do it. <laughs> you deserve a break today. You know, there's all kinds of bad advertising out there, unbiblical advertising. Jesus is saying, yeah, this, this is the kind of, the, the person who goes through life saying, you know, I just want to go where I want to go, do what I want to do, be what I want to be. That's the easy way. You know, some people say, hey, it's your life. You call the shots. You're number one. It's an easy way to live because there's, there's no one but you to please in the easy way. And that's why it's often called the easy way. That's what the easy way is all about. But there is, a, there is a dark side, if you will, to the easy way that Jesus is talking about in verses 13 and 14. There's a dark side to this. There's pleasure seekers in life who fail to, to mention, as you travel the easy road of life, there are consequences to traveling the easy way. There's a couple of things you need to know before you decide to live out the rest of your life traveling this easy way. Okay? Lest you think, that sounds really good. I, I like that. I want to stay on that road. Lest you think that way, let me tell you what Jesus says. Number one, you aren't really in control. You think you're in control, but you're not really in control. As you go through life, you know, you think you're making all the rules, calling the shots. You're not really in control. In fact, you're nothing more than a pawn of the devil, the Bible says. 
John 8, verse 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So my friend, if you're on the easy way, Satan is your father. You're not calling the shots. You don't get to do what you want. Your whole mission in life is to serve Satan. You understand that, I hope. So it's not as it appears. You aren't really in control. And number two, sin brings with it pain and sorrow. So if you think you can just go through life, you get to carry all your baggage of sin along the way, do what you want. I got news for you. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Proverbs 13, 15 says, The way of the treacherous is their ruin. Those are just a few verses in Scripture that says that sin is going to bring a boatload of pain and misery to you. It will in this life and certainly in the next life. But number three, God offers a better alternative. Okay, You may think, you know, you calling on the shots, doing what you want all the time, sounds good and easy and the best thing. God offers a better alternative. God has a plan whereby those who actually follow Him enjoy the fullest of God's rich blessings every day. As a believer... As, as one who has, I've put my faith in Christ alone, I get to enjoy peace, joy, love. I, I have an assurance of salvation as I go through my life. I know that when I die, I have a glorious future to look forward to. Just to name a few things. And there's all kinds of other multitudes of other things that the Lord gives to me every day. Yes, the way is hard for me as a believer, but it's worth it. The alternative is better than the easy way. Well, there is a second road that Jesus mentions here in verses 13 and 14. He says there's also a hard way. There's an easy way, there's a hard way. And that's the only two options. There there are no other ways. So let's talk about this hard way. Well, first of all, we already mentioned the easy way. We mentioned it's, it's wide, it's open, it's easy. But this other way that a person can live is called hard. The ESV calls it hard. This word refers to being put in a grape press. Imagine a grape being put in a press. And the press is getting squeezed on it. And eventually it squishes and all the juices come out. That's, that's the idea here. It's, it's the idea of being constricted. It can also carry the idea of being distressed and difficult, which is why the ESV translates it hard. It's a hard way. You see, the hard way is, of course, the opposite of the easy way. On the hard way, you can't take all your sins with you. <laughs> if you try, you're going to find there isn't enough room for you and your sins. You're going to get stuck at the gate. The narrow gate is going to prohibit you from carrying all your sins with you. It's like trying to go through one of those those turnstiles, right? You ever try to carry heaps of luggage through you in going through one of those things? It's virtually impossible, isn't it? That's the idea. God doesn't want you carrying all your sins with, with you. You're supposed to leave those on Jesus at the cross. You can't take all your sins with you. And so when you're walking this hard way, you've got to choose to give up your rights. We talked about that in the Beatitudes. It's not about you. You, you, you give that up. You come to God empty-handed. You can no longer do as you please. You've got to do those things that please the Lord. He's the Master. He's King Jesus. You can't make the rules, and you're expected to keep the Lord's rules. That's what happens when you decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the hard way. Now, some people have the mistaken idea that they can just live as they please and, and that the, the Lord is somehow going to bless them even if they just go through life doing as they please. That is a mistaken belief. God's not going to bless you if you just serve yourself, make you the God. God's not going to bless you. In reality, when you walk the hard way, you 
you should expect some difficulty. After all, guess what? These bodies are going to resist the confines of the hard way. Your, your sin nature is going to resist uh, you mortifying your flesh. The sin nature is going to find that hard way too tight, too constrictive. It's going to fight. By the way, nobody ever said that living for the Lord would be easy. Jesus never said living for him would be easy. Now I want you to notice some, some facts about living the hard way. Number one, it honors God. Okay, yes, it's hard, but it honors God. Number two, it brings his blessing and power into your life. And number three, we don't have time to look at the scriptures there, but uh, number three is it offers a better life from every perspective in, in this life and in the one to come. So nobody ever said that it was easy. And those who do are, are preaching a false gospel to you. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It, according to Galatians chapter 1, Paul calls it another gospel, which isn't a gospel. You don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm taking Jesus because I want my fire insurance. No. <laughs> That's not what it's about. So it's not easy, but it is the only way to honor God. It's the only way to be his disciple. And yes, it's tough, but trust me, trust Jesus, it's worth it. So there's, there's two possible roads. We've talked about those, okay? And there's only two ways, Jesus says. But we also see there's, there's two possible destinations in eternity. Only two possible destinations in eternity. You've probably heard it said that all roads end up somewhere. <laughs> we, we even have a road here in New Zealand called the road to nowhere. You heard about that? The road to nowhere. Even that one ends up somewhere, right? Uh, all, I mean, it used, it used to be said that all roads lead to Rome. So, so even then you get the idea, all roads end up somewhere. They, they lead somewhere. And, and the same is true with the roads that we're considering here today. They end up somewhere. There is a destination. And since everybody here is on one or the other, then, then obviously we need to find out where we're going then, right? We're all going somewhere to some destination. I hope you don't believe in soul sleep. Or, or this idea that you, you, the New Age philosophy, you just kind of get absorbed into nothingness. No. Jesus believed that to be absent from the body, if you're a believer, is to be present with the Lord. If the, and and if, you're not, if you're not a believer, then to be absent from your body is to be eternally separated from the Lord. That's the only options. And so the first destination that Jesus talks about is, is there is a real place called hell. Okay. Uh, there are many people, sadly, who believe that hell is, I don't know, a, a fig newton of some fiery preacher's imagination. No, it's, it's a real place. Jesus talked about it. Jesus tells us here that the easy road, in fact, leads to destruction. And when we think of something being destroyed, um, <clears throat> we, we often think about something being annihilated, forever done away with. But that is not what Jesus is referring to by hell, okay? The word here refers to loss. So when Jesus says it's, leading to destruction. It's, it's leading you to loss. It speaks of total and absolute ruin. In all honesty, it's referring to the loss that someone can suffer in the fires of hell. That's what it's talking about. So my friends, the easy road ends in hell. And then according to Revelation, hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. So every, every person who chooses the easy way then is eventually going to find themselves in the fires of hell. They might think they have it easy in this life, but the next life will make all the difference because it's not easy. Now to me, that is the most awful thought that my mind can, can even try to understand. Someone burning forever in the fires of hell. I can't, I can't imagine anything worse than that. And so what makes it so terrible is that, is that <clears throat> I can't help but wonder if there is somebody even sitting here today or is going to listen to this on the internet 
who is, who, is, who is headed on this road at the moment? Are you on the easy road headed to a destination called hell? Are you? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm quite willing to lose friendships and for people to hate me on this issue because there is nothing more frightening than this issue. I would be a bad preacher, and I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you what Jesus is trying to tell you. So allow me to give you a little insight into this place where the easy way ends. The Bible is quite clear on this. Okay? Uh, we don't have time to go into all the scriptures, okay? So let me just mention a few things that Jesus mentions about this real place called hell. Number one, it has unquenchable fire. It never goes out. The pain is unrelenting. There, it's a place of memory and remorse. If you go to hell, you will remember the gospel. You will remember who people who tried to give you the good news, tried to tell you about Jesus. It's a place of unsatisfied thirst. It's a place of frustration and anger. It's a place of unspeakable pain and misery. It's a place of eternal separation. You will be lonely. It's not a place where, in fact, I was actually witnessing uh, to one person many years ago uh, here in New Zealand. And, and this, this, this girl, around 20 years old, she said, when I asked her, if you died today, do you know 100% sure that you would immediately be in Jesus' presence in heaven? She said, I don't want to go there. I want to go to the other place because that's where my friends are. I had to tell her that's not what Jesus says hell's all about. Hell is a place of loneliness. It's a place of, of, of complete darkness. You will be totally alone in utter pain. You won't care about anybody else. You'll be totally alone. That's what Jesus says. It's eternal separation. But, it, but it, probably the worst thing of all, it's a place where God's wrath is undiluted. It comes in concentrate form. There'll be no more mercy, no more respite. There will not be a second chance. Hell will be eternally real and eternally awful. Those are just some of the things the Bible says about this real place called hell. So regardless of what, of what other people think and what you may have read, even in Christian articles and, and on the blogs, hell is real and lost souls burn in this horrible place for all eternity. There are people there right now. So no matter how I try, the reality is I, I could never adequately describe this place. Words cannot do it justice. So it's a place from which there's going to be no deliverance. So my friend, if you are on the easy way now, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Okay, Don't put it off. Don't say, hey, I want to do my own thing now, and then I'll accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord sometime in the future. My friend, that day may never come. It may never come. You're not assured of tomorrow. You could die in your sleep tonight. You could die traveling on the road going home. You could have a heart attack as you're sitting here. There, there are a number of ways you could die. You have no assurance of anything except death and an eternity in one of these two places. So the issue is, where will you end up? The road you're on ends up somewhere. It does. And one of those destinations is a real place called hell. But the second place, the second real place is called heaven. So where, which road are you on? Where's your destination? Just as the easy road has a destination, the hard way does too. This road doesn't end up in hell. Thank God for that. It actually ends up in a far better place called heaven. The Bible describes that as well. Jesus promised life to those who would follow this way. Eternal life, in fact. Um, and, and when he talks about this life, it's not just life down here on the earth, by the way. But it's, it's everlasting. It's glorious life in the, the realms that are beyond this wicked, sinful place that we live in now. Heaven is a real place. It's a place of joy, happiness, rest, peace, unspeakable beauty, unspeakable glory. Again, words could not possibly do it justice. Any artwork that you have seen does not do it justice. 
Everything that hell isn't, heaven is. Think of the opposite. So, so just getting a brief glimpse of this glorious city, I think, is, is very helpful. Uh, the Bible does talk about heaven, so let me just throw a few things out quickly to, to you, okay? Read the last two chapters of the Bible. That will give you an idea of the new Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven. It's a place, the Bible says, where there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no more death. There's no sin. Ooh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that one. My sin nature's gone. There's no night. I'll never have to go to sleep. You're never going to have any one of those bad nights anymore. You know, none, none of that stuff. You're not going to wake up with aches and pains. Nope, none of that stuff anymore. There's going to be no more curse. You're going to be able to be there with God and with Jesus Christ in their presence forever and enjoy being in their presence because your sin nature's gone. You're going to be in this glorious city where, where God uses gold to pave the streets and he just throws it on the streets. It's a place where there's glories beyond description, beyond our ability to comprehend and, and, and to understand. It's, it's just that good. It's, it's a place when you, if you're a believer and when you actually get there, you're going to say, man, I wish God said I could have committed suicide so I could have got here earlier. You're going to wish you could have got there earlier. You're not going to say, man, I wish I could have lived another year longer on earth. No, you're not going to think that way. Well, let's move on to principle number two. Number two, you must be wisely discerning toward Bible teachers. Jesus says you must be wisely discerning toward Bible teachers. Why? Because Jesus said things are not always as they appear. And he gives an illustration here as he's contrasting two kinds of prophets. Look at verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets. By the way, that's a command. You don't have an option. You have to be discerning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? (laughs) Rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is, of course not. So Jesus says, beware of these false prophets. You know, they, they try to act and they try to look like Christians. Some of them are even preachers of the Bible. Many of them try to act and look like us as sheep. You know, they even put on the sheep's clothing, talk like sheep, eat what sheep eat, go where sheep go, but they're actually a wolf, and they're out to destroy you. That's what Jesus says. Let me give you an example of a false prophet. It's not hard to find them. They're in the seminaries, they're on the radio, they're in the magazines, they're in the pulpits, they're everywhere. Okay, not hard to find them. Let me give you an obvious one, all right? Have you ever heard of the People's Temple Christian Church? Any of you heard of that? The People's Temple Christian Church. Well, a large majority of its members have been raised in Christian homes. Most of those who joined the church did so in a belief that it offered some higher and and more genuine experience of fellowship and service. Yet the church dissolved overnight when its leader, Jim Jones, heard of him? Jim Jones? And nearly a thousand of its most loyal followers committed mass suicide at Jonestown, a remote church settlement in the jungles of Guyana, South America. Beware of people who offer you Kool-Aid. Anyway, in his book called Deceived, Mel White tries to determine why so many people could be so fatally misled. Among the reasons he suggests is this, quote, it's on the screen here for you, He, that's Jim Jones, knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for the retarded. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. 
He founded a community center. He preached about God. He even claimed to cast out demons, do miracles, and heal people. But on the other hand, we find all the marks of a false prophet. He promoted himself through the use of celebrities, a very common vehicle for false prophets to gain credibility. He manipulated the press. He wanted certain favorable stories. He was big on playing the press. And he used the language and the forms of faith to gain his power. End quote. Well, in the end, what did, what did Jim Jones do? In the end, what he did is he put him place... He put himself in the place of Jesus Christ. He became the king. And he's not. He wasn't. It's sad because I can't help but wonder how many people did he take to hell with him? That's that's one of the sad things about false prophets. As they destroy the sheep, they take many to hell with them. So beware, be discerning, my friends. They're out there, they're everywhere. And if, you're, if, if, if your radar is not very discerning, please come and talk to me. I'll be more than happy to try to help you in that regard, okay? God's made me the under-shepherd to help guard against the wolves that, that try to attack the flock, and I'm, I'm more than happy to help in that regard. So, uh, the third principle Jesus gives here is this. The nature of your tree always determines the nature of your fruit. As Jesus just mentioned, how do you, how do you notice these false prophets? I mean, if, if they're preaching and teaching the Bible, they talk like us, do what we do, go where we go. You know, they're, they're claiming to do all these things in Jesus' name. I mean, how, how do you know? Jesus says it's by their fruit. The tree always produces what the nature of the tree does. (laughs) Jesus gives two trees here to illustrate what he's trying to get across to us. Let's look at these two trees, starting in verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So how is the fruit described here? So remember, the nature of the tree is always determined by the nature of the fruit. The fruit will tell you what kind of a tree it is. So how's the fruit described? Well, Jesus says here, there's only two kinds of fruit. And by the way, have you noticed the pattern here? All throughout the end of the sermon, he's, there's, he's always mentioning two things. Two roads, two gates, two disciples, two trees. Two, we're, we're about to get to the next one. There's two builders, two foundations. You get the point? There's only two. So how's the fruit described? There's there's two kinds of fruit that can be produced. Jesus says it's either good or it's bad. That's it. The only options. Good fruit is that which is pleasing to the Lord. The good fruit is what glorifies God. It's fruit that is produced as a result of the Holy Spirit working in somebody's life. Read Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. You've got things like love, joy, and peace, etc. That's the Holy Spirit doing that work. Bad fruit is also mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh. Things like stealing and murder and adultery and so forth. That's the works of the flesh. It's, why, why does somebody steal and lie and do these types of sins? It's, why is this bad fruit coming uh, hanging on the tree? Because it's a bad tree. That's the point Jesus is making. Why does somebody evidence fruit of the Spirit? Things like love, joy, peace, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. Why? Because you're a good tree. The fruit tells what kind of a tree you are. Well, i got another question for you. How is the fruit determined? How is the fruit determined? Jesus says that the nature of the fruit is determined by the nature of the tree. That's pretty obvious, right? If you have an apple tree... 
it's going to produce apples. If you have an orange tree, it's going to produce oranges. Lemon tree produces lemons, right? Pretty obvious. <laughs> the nature of the tree determines what kind of fruit. So the only way then you, that, that anybody or anything can change the nature of the fruit is what? You have to change the nature of the tree. That's the only way. But did you know the fruit actually says something? The fruit speaks. In this case, the fruit speaks. It, it, it says something. According to Jesus, the fruit your life yield says a lot about you. In fact, if you're producing good fruit, then Jesus says you're a good tree. In other words, you're a Christian. You're a believer. However, if you're consistently producing bad fruit, habitually producing bad fruit, the word habitual is important there because we're all sinners. But if you're consistently, habitually producing bad fruit, Jesus says you're a bad tree. And you need to be cut down and thrown into hell. So the only solution to the bad tree then is you need a new birth. You need to be reborn. You need, as Jesus said in John, you need to be born again, spiritually speaking. Now I realize you can't always tell the quality of the fruit by its outward appearance, right? We, we struggle with that when we go to the fruit and veggie markets, right? You, you think you're buying something that's, that's good to eat, but when you actually cut it open, you found out, whoops, I made a mistake. It's rotten or whatever, right? <clears throat> so as a general rule, though, okay, you've probably heard this before. As a general rule, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, and it looks like a duck, then what is it? It's probably a duck, right? You get the point? If it's doing all these things and showing evidence and fruit of being something, then that's probably what it is. A general rule. That's what Jesus is saying. A life that's lived in sin, disobedience, rebellion to God, shows it's a bad tree. On the other hand, if, if your life's consistently exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit... If you're walking in the Spirit, you're producing good spiritual fruit. And that good fruit is suggesting that you're a good tree. That's the point Jesus is making. Let's move on to principle number four. Principle number four that Jesus gives us here is that the greatest curse is to not be known by King Jesus. That's the greatest curse, is to not be known by King Jesus. And Jesus illustrates this principle with two kinds of disciples. And the question for you is, which disciple are you? Which one are you? Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, this is Jesus speaking here, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So my question for you, my friend, every one of you, does Jesus know you? Now, please don't take that in one sense, because Jesus knows everything. He's God, okay? But does He know you in this intimate relationship that He only has with true believers? If not, then Jesus is one, gonna, one day going to say to you, depart from me. Now, there's three important matters that are worth noting here. Number one, be very careful, my friends. Right doctrine is not enough. You can know the right doctrine and still go to hell. We have an example of that here. There was somebody who came to Jesus here. Jesus says, this person's coming and declaring the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God, and Jesus still tells them, you're going to hell. They knew the right doctrine. In fact, the Bible says that even the demons believe but they're certainly not going to heaven. So it is possible to know the right stuff and not be a Christian. Confessing Jesus' deity, professing that he is master, is not enough to save you. 
be very careful. Very careful on that. Number two, performing charismatic works is not enough to get you to heaven either. Jesus, again, gives examples of this. There there are people here who are doing these things, and they're even doing it in the name of Jesus. Okay, Casting out demons and so forth. There's plenty of people doing charismatic works, and Jesus is going to declare to you, I don't know you. You are an unbeliever. Depart from me to hell forever. That's scary. So performing charismatic works is not enough. Knowing the right doctrine or biblical truth is not enough. So what is the key measure of a true disciple then? What what did Jesus say? Jesus said it's not what you believe, it's what you do. The true measure of a of a of the, the key measure of a true disciple is you must do God's will. That's what Jesus said. You must do God's will. If you don't do God's will, then you should, you should not believe that you're a Christian. That's what Jesus says. So the greatest curse is to not be known by King Jesus. So which disciple are you? The fifth principle is this. Disciples who build their lives on the bedrock of Jesus and his message are truly wise. Which bedrock are you building on? Which, I should say, which foundation are you building your life on? Based on your foundation will determine, according to Jesus, whether you're a fool or you're wise. Now, I'm not calling you a fool, okay? Jesus is calling you a fool if you choose the wrong foundation. That's Jesus speaking. You take it up with him, please. Now, look what, look what Jesus says in verse 24. Verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Well, Jesus says it's because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Well, let me just mention a few things in case you haven't noticed these. Jesus had something to say about the two buildings. Again, he's contrasting two buildings, two builders, and two foundations. There's only two choices in life, again, (laughs) So let me say something about the buildings here. Jesus tells us about two houses. You can see a picture of two different houses there. Uh, Probably, as far as we know, outwardly speaking on the externals, the houses were very similar. Maybe, Maybe exactly the same. They looked alike. They may have been made from the same materials. The the only difference in the two was the kind of foundation that each house was actually resting on. One was built on sand, one was built on bedrock. Okay, you understand? That's the only difference. Outwardly, you, couldn't, you probably couldn't tell the difference between the two. Let me say something about the, the beatings that took place here. Each house was subjected to the same abuse. There was a storm that came. The rains fell, the winds blew, this, these, these floods wrap themselves around the house, each of the houses. But the result was different, right? One house stood the the test of the storm, whereas the other house fell. It was destroyed. Again, what was the difference? They experienced the same floods, the same winds. What was the difference? The foundation. So the buildings are the same, the, the same storm in the same location, the difference being the foundation. Two different builders. These men were pretty much alike. They both wanted houses. They both wanted to build houses. They both watched as the house that they had built was attacked by the same vicious storm. One had a different outcome, though, from the other, right? One watched as his house was destroyed. The other watched as his house withstood the storm. Jesus looked at these men. He proclaimed one of them a fool 
and he proclaimed the other one wise. Again, what was the difference? It's the foundation. What did they build their life on? So if you, if you picture the house representing your life, what is your life built on? What is the foundation of your life? Is it built on Jesus and his message? If it is, then Jesus pronounces you wise. But if your life is built on anything other than Jesus and his message, Jesus calls you a fool. Did you know that every person in this room is a builder? Every one of you are a builder. Not, not physically, you understand. So wh- whether you do that for a living or not, it's not the issue. Your life is like a house. You're building this house called your life. It looks pretty much like the other houses in this room. Hard to, might be tell, hard to tell the difference. It's made from the same materials. Uh, our lives are often attacked by the same type of storms. But the greatest storm that, that any one of our houses is going to face one day is the judgment from God. God knows everything. God's wrath will be brought on the house. Some houses in this room are going to weather the storm. Praise God. But I can't help but wonder if there is a house in this room that when the storm of God's wrath comes, your house is going to fall apart and crumble. Maybe you've been building your house on your own good works. Maybe you've built it on your your church attendance, your baptism, your giving money to God's works and God's kingdom and God's causes. Maybe you think your good works outweigh your bad works. I don't know. If that's your house, it's going to crumble. It will not withstand the storm of God's wrath. Some houses are going to withstand, some won't. What makes the difference is the foundation. The quality of the foundation makes all the difference. (laughs) Obviously, sand is not good enough to withstand a storm. The foolish man, apparently he didn't take time to plan. He 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 didn't think too deeply about his house, apparently. He just built it where it was. He put it on the sand, and he paid the price. The other guy, yes, it was more effort, wasn't it? He's got to dig down. He's got to get rid of the sand. He's got to get down to the bedrock. But it was worth it. He built his house on the bedrock, and when the storm came, his house stood strong. So again, I ask you, which foundation are you building your life on? Is it on Jesus and his message? Or is it on you? i got news for you. You're not a strong foundation. It will not withstand God's wrath. Well, the last principle Jesus gives here is that we must decide that King Jesus is the only way. That's what it comes down to. Jesus is the only way. You you can choose another way, but Jesus is the only way. Look look how the Sermon on the Mount ends in verse 28 and 29. Look at verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Did you notice the Bible here says, the the congregation that was there, there were more than just Jesus' disciples. Probably hundreds of others, including Pharisees and scribes, that were listening in. It says the congregation was astonished at Jesus' sermon. Why? Why? Why were they astonished? Because Jesus spoke with divine authority. Why is he speaking with divine authority? Because he is divine. Because Jesus is God. And because he's God, he's speaking as if he is God. Because he is the Son of God. But how did the scribes and Pharisees speak? They weren't God, so they didn't speak as God. So what did they do? They, they spoke from other authorities. They went to the so-called church fathers, the the rabbis who were dead and gone. And and, and they would talk about them and what they said. The so-called golden age of the rabbis. They were always quoting these other rabbis and experts of the law. But Jesus didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do what the other human teachers of of the Old Testament did. Jesus spoke as the Son of God because He is God. And that's why they walked away astonished. But is that what they needed? You understand, it's not enough to be astonished by Jesus' teaching. You could sit here and say, wow, Jesus' sermon is awesome. 
That's good stuff. My friend, if you walk out those doors and if that's all you're thinking, you miss the whole point. It's not enough to be astonished. The people needed to not just be amazed, but they needed to believe in Jesus. Astonishment was not what was necessary. Obedience is what God calls for. Jesus didn't tell them that uh, this sermon just to amaze them. He, Jesus told them this sermon so that they would be saved, so they would spend eternity in heaven, so they could be citizens of this kingdom where Jesus is the king. But most of the people, they watched, they listened, and they decided for whatever reason, hey, I'm on the easy road and I'm going to stay on the easy road. And they walked away. They did not choose the hard way. Do you see the danger here? My friend, I'm concerned about every one of you here. Lest you walk out that door and be just like those hearers of Jesus' day, amazed at Jesus' teaching and Jesus' life, and say, wow, he was a good teacher. Plenty of unbelievers think Jesus was a good teacher. My friend, he's more than a good teacher. He's God. He calls for a response. In fact, he's King Jesus, and you don't get into his kingdom except through him. So most of the people, they just watch, listen, decide, hey, I'm going to stay on the easy road. I don't like the hard road. But my friends, this sermon calls for a response. You, you can't just sit here and be neutral. We shouldn't lightly dis- dismiss this sermon because the reality is God is the one who's given this, not me. God's given it to you. So we, we either need to bow before King Jesus and submit to his authority If we don't, my friends, then one day you will be condemned for all eternity. That's the two choices. So again, I ask you, are you with King Jesus or are you against him? Are you with King Jesus or against him? My friend, if you're against King Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Stop resisting. Stop rebelling. Stop trying to get to heaven through your own self works and rely on Jesus Christ alone. If you want to know from Scripture how you can enter the kingdom of heaven, I'll be happy to tell you what Jesus says.